Welcome to the EMS Handout, your source for all things EMS. And now, let's welcome to the show your hosts, Bradley Dean, Eric McCullough, and David Blevins. Hello, and welcome back to another episode of the EMS Handout Podcast. I'm David, along with my co-host, Bradley Dean, who's continuing his run through anybody that would talk to him at the North Carolina EMS Expo. We've got another great episode coming today. So Bradley Dean, the infamous one of a kind and in his wonderful threads today, man, you're, you're kicking it today. I kind of like that. Well, I, I didn't have a pair of red pants to match Rob's red pants. So I had to wear kind of a red shirt. But sitting down, of course, is not good for red pants because you can't see them. But so we'll cover that later. And, and you know, may get some outtakes of this, but, you know, normally you don't you know, when we went to when we went to recording online, you don't always record what's down below the video line. So, but before we get started, we want to thank our podcast partner, the Journal of Emergency Medical Services. They have been an industry leader for many years, but uh, we are going to take it on to us. We are your source for all things EMS and the podcast first. But today we've got competing podcasts. So Bradley, oh. Dean, introduce our guest and uh, tell us who you got with you. So today we've got uh, Rob Lawrence. I want to let him kind of introduce himself. And he's got a podcast that, that he has runs on, on another platform that uh, hopefully we're going to put this on both. Hopefully we'll do some crossover. Hello, I'm Rob Lawrence. And actually, I am the voice of EMS One's EMS One Stop. Uh, I'm also the voice of the NAMT radio podcast for NAMT members. And also uh, with my home company, Prodigy, we produce the EMS Educator podcast. So basically, you won't get me off your airways. Hey, uh, it's great. Uh, you, you came to us from across the pond uh, and then, you know, worked in, in Virginia for a while. Mm -hmm. So tell us a little bit about your uh, background. Well, I started off as a career army officer, first of all, and uh, then I was did that for 20 years. So I was in the medical services and then left and joined the National Health Service in uh, in the UK, and I was the Chief Operating Officer of the East of England Amulet Service, and uh, did that, enjoyed that, and then the, the the call came to to Richmond, Virginia, and I emigrated lock, stock, and barrel to Richmond, Virginia, was there for 10 years, then moved across to Alameda oh. County, California, and for those that don't know their California geography, Alameda is everything to the east of San Francisco, across the bay, the city of Oakland, mm -hmm. Uh, and then I uh, tried to retire badly, gave up one job, now have six, and uh, work with Prodigy EMS, sort of my half-time job. And also I'm the executive director of the California Ambulance Association and frustrated journalist and podcaster. So, so big what, better, what better than to add another podcast in your line? You know, you got plenty of, you're retired, so you have plenty of time in that schedule. Right. And uh, this is another one I can add to my checklist of podcast uh, guest spots. So thank you for inviting me along. Absolutely. All right. So this morning, you you did a presentation uh, you know, talking about lots of challenges and yep. things that uh, that face EMS. And, you know, so let's take a minute. Let's talk about the uh, elephant in the room. Well, there's many elephants in the room. And uh, I came up with 10 things that uh, we probably all know about. 
which we need to think about and occasionally we need to act upon. And so really it was an hour's worth of hopefully thought-provoking topics and uh, things that that just are challenging us as an industry, as a profession, um, from everything from politics to education through to just dealing with the aftermath of the pandemic. Yeah, so, you know, that that presentation brought up a lot of things for, for people to think about. Everything from, uh, you know, looking at, recruiting retention yep. you know all of that so uh, what are some of the services that you work with you know doing uh right now with with some of that well my first elephant in the room if you remember was actually talking about the revolving door that is recruiting and retention and the pandemic has been a challenge for us all because a lot of volunteer rescue squads stopped volunteering a lot of people literally had you know, their lot with the pandemic and stop doing stop doing EMS. Um, we lost a lot of people through through that sort of attrition. We lost a lot of people. We didn't gain a lot of people because, of course, we couldn't train and educate them and bring them in. So the pipeline kind of dried up for a bit. And uh, then, of course, there comes back down to the during the pandemic, what else happened? Everybody else raised their salaries, raised their income, raised their wages, and we couldn't compete. And so therein lies the challenge of just getting people and keeping people. Back in the old days, I would talk about, you know, what's how big is your budget, how big is your recruiting budget versus how big is your retention budget? And I would argue that recruiting budgets were much bigger than retention budgets. And there is a, you know, go away and think about that for a second. And so there, there's lots of challenges. I went out to look at the wider world. And, and as part of my discussion was just to talk about, talk to leaders really about how we can, can fix that. And I looked at the glass door this year, the, the top 50 glass door companies, um, and looked at their um, the description of their, you know, their, their sort of citations, if you like, and uh, not one of them mentioned pay and benefits, but all of them mentioned the ethos, the, the teamwork, the leadership. And so my takeaway and my elephant, if you like, was the fact that we have to think about that and work hard on creating the environment in which people are going to want to stay and going to want to thrive. Sometimes it's not necessarily the pay, but it's actually the people. And so we have to work on that. And that was that was my sort of opening gambit, if you like. Yeah. So, you know, for recruiting and retention, yeah, yes, we have to work yeah. on the people. And in order to recruit, in order to retain people, you know, we've got to have funds to be able to do that. So one of the other big elephants is reimbursement. Yeah, and we, we, we're in, a, and, and I contended all the way through the com, all the way through the session that EMS is in a pickle, right? And we're in the pickle because we need to pay people a living wage. Uh, we need to to be able to reimburse people for the for the work that they do, the knowledge that they have, and the service that they deliver. However, as we all know in EMS, we only get paid for transport, and there's two primary sources of that reimbursement. One is the insurance coverage. And I'll talk about a little bit deeper about that in a second. And then the other one, of course, is our is Medicare Medicaid. And these days we haven't kept up with the reimbursement rate for the cost of doing the job. So, so the government will give you what the government wants to give you. Uh, we know it's less than the actual cost of delivering the service. And so there is some legislative action needed, some lobbying action needed, some some everybody just needs to be getting getting on board with that one. Of course, the, the the insurance discussion comes back down to we know how much we charge. The insurance know, knows how much they want to give us. And of course, stuck in the middle is the patient and the infamous balance bill. And whilst there's balance billing legislation occurred right now, obviously the rest of the hospital world are covered in balance billing. Air ambulances are covered in balance billing. 
EMS or ground ambulance, should I say, isn't. And there's a number of reasons why we're out of that at the moment. It's because, A, we can't demonstrate how much we cost to do in the first place. And so we have another thing going on, which, of course, is a cost collection survey. That's about to report out for the first year. There's four years worth of organizations tapped to deliver their costs. And so we can't actually change. We, we can't get away from the balance bill properly until we can actually say this is how much EMS costs. So we're, we're stuck in this kind of conundrum right now. Um, the surprise bill that they talk about, I, I don't talk about surprise billing. I talk about surprise payment, how much the insurance company gives you. Um, and it's not based on any, we, we don't believe it's based on any science. And so we're stuck in that kind of pickle that uh, this is how much it actually costs us to do business because it's not just the cost of the transport of the patient, it's the cost of readiness of the system um, because we just don't come from home to, we're not like the volunteer lifeboat guys that will come out just when there's a ship in distress. We're there all the time. We're waiting, we're prepared, we're, we're getting ready. And so again, it's another challenge number of things are happening, of course. We have next week, we have the, the first government, the uh, CMS is having a meeting uh, next week. And I don't know when this podcast is going to go out, but in the opening week of May, CMS is having their committee to talk about balanced billing. Um, it's being chaired by uh, Asbel Montes, who many people know, and from North Carolina. Uh, Regina Crawford is a member of that, among along with other members of other sort of elements and disciplines within the EMS to discuss that. So hopefully we can... Maybe start to eat. And how do you eat an elephant, right? One bite at a time. One bite at a time. So the first bite of that particular elephant is going to be eaten and bitten uh, in the first week of May. So fingers crossed uh, and good luck to the folk that have to have that discussion. Well, and uh, you you bring, bring up a great term uh, within there that not a lot of people have thought about uh, until recently, and that, it is that cost of readiness. Uh, you know, we have to be unlike some of the others, you know, they, they've got staffing because they've got people in their, their EDs or their hospitals all the time where we may or may not have a call. We have to be prepared to deal with somebody that's uh, uh, having a stroke or a heart attack at two o'clock in the morning or two o'clock in the, the evening or, you know, a bus crash or, or you know, some of the other things we've seen, including, uh, you know, terrorist attacks and all that, the, the, the gray area of, of anything that we have to be prepared for is significant. And New York actually just released a paper not too long ago in, in their New York State evidence-based agenda of the future. Uh, that's one of the key terms that keeps coming back up is like, you know, we're paying, you're, you know, you're, you're providing a fee for service, not even providing all of what that service may be required, but you're only providing it when it happens. So that's definitely going to be good to see a lot of those conversations as they move forward and actually define what EMS is. So, Yeah, and so just last week, uh, so I went with Regina and we went down and met with some legislators in North Carolina right. on the Medicare uh, and Medicaid expansion. Mm -hmm. uh, so hopefully that'll improve the quality of care and the stuff that's you know here in North Carolina. And so if you're one of the legislators that's uh, helping pass that, I, I just want to say thank you because I know a couple of them from our state watch our podcast. Excellent. And I'm glad that they, or I'm glad that you do watch this podcast. And of course, one of the other, not elephant, but actually one of the issues that I discussed was those four little words. And those four little words are all those in favor. You have to be friends with your your legislators, whether it's the local board of, board of supervisors, um, your local city council, your state government, the federal government, in order to get things done and uh, all those in favor, because eventually it's going to come down to a vote. 
And if you've done all the lobbying, if you've done all the homework, if you've presented the case, if you've got the data prepared, if you have, and dare I say, have a good story, then things will go in your favour on the day. And so that's why we're all, polit and again, I'm kind of mi mixing so many so many points now, but uh, we're all politicians, whether you're the guy on the truck, you drive a massive billboard, you drive a massive advertisement for who you are and what you do. And so that also can be leveraged and parlayed into some sort of political solution. This is what we're out there doing. This is the benefit we are giving the community. This is the, 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 the clinical benefit we're having on the patients. But we have an issue and the issue is we need to be reimbursed or you know if you're a local government operation we need more vehicles and equipment because you know i have to order my truck now and i know it ain't going to be here for the next three years so i need you to invest now for the delivery whenever whenever the chips arrive and the truck arrives so there's a lot there's a lot there and obviously politics lobbying legislation are absolutely key for everyone, not just people like me who spend time in Sacramento in my California life or on the hill in my American Ambulance Association life. So when we talk about, you know, recruiting, retention, and we talk about reimbursement, mm -hmm. you know, there's another cost that, that I don't think a lot of people look at, uh, but, you know, our providers have to have it, and that's for recertification. So how does how, how is that one of those elephants in the room that you talked about? Well, you know, we, we got into the, the, the education versus training discussion. And a few years ago, actually BC before COVID, we got into the great, we got log jammed around degrees versus, versus uh, you know, education. And there was interestingly a very famous letter, letters or set of letters that went out where our fire-based colleagues were anti-degree, our EMS ambulance-based colleagues were pro-degree, and there was a massive agreement to disagree uh, for, for whatever reason. And, uh, you know, I, I was chatting, post, post my discussion this morning, I was chatting to educators in the room, at, you know, and, and the, the discussion is around, there's a lot of medics on the truck that have degrees. I had, you know, MPHs and PhDs on the truck that weren't necessarily an EMS, but they had advanced, they had advanced level education because we haven't created and enticed our school leavers to get into a paramedic based, uh, you know, degree program. Now, Go across country, and I talked about the the UK, New Zealand, Australia, Norway, where they all have four year paramedic. In fact, Australia has a combined RN paramedic degree, uh, so over four years, and and it's the natural progression to go from school into that. You may not end up becoming a paramedic in the end. You might become an RN, but at least it's the sort of gateway to healthcare. And it's an appropriate degree. And so that was sort of some of the discussion that we had there. And uh, I also mentioned the fact that in Australia right now, they are educating every college or every university has a paramedic program. Um, they're producing more paramedics than they have jobs for. And of course, what we're trying to do now is beat the UK. I'm sorry if you're listening in the UK, but uh, I'm going to I'm going to be an American for this one. Um, we want to you know, encourage some of them to come and work with us. You know, providing we can sort out the visa issue, and actually, there's the logjam is getting the the immigration bits sources. Um, but actually, there's some extra extra workforce that could potentially come and come and work with us. And they've been doing it in the UK for years. The the, the sort of route of going walk about to London for a three or four years post degree actually gives you that resume to go and go back into the Australian uh, ambulance services, one of the six Australian ambulance services, and work there. So interesting discussions afoot of graduate versus training training versus education um and uh, that was that was a, that actually got a lot of a lot of feedback when you know inevitably people will line up to talk to you afterwards that was the discussions we were having actually that was the the, the, the that was the uh the, the pressure point i think i hit there and 
it's actually kind of interesting. You mentioned uh, the uh, you mentioned the uh, internal debate about degrees. I had an interesting conversation with most of the people that were involved, including those that had published a position paper on the opposition, and they were for a degree. They love the advancement. They have a 70-page document on uh, career progression and education, and everybody was like, well, why are you opposing this? I'm like, you know, this is the way forward. And so it's it's funny that that we had this conversation, like we could really bring all these people together, sit in a room and actually advance uh, because that's really what it is. It's like let's, yep. let's let's come to come together and discuss, and that's that's how advancement comes when you take a look at some of the other places you mentioned. Somebody had to sit down in a room, and go, "Hey, this is a great idea. Let's let's flesh this out, and move forward." If I may plug the other one of the other podcasts for a second, but uh, and hopefully you can put this in your show notes. But uh, I've had a good fortune to recently talk to uh, Tony Walker, who's the the head of Amulets Victoria, about how the Australian system works, and of course their graduate program, and also Steinar Olsen, who runs EMS across Norway. And again, they are a four-year degree program, and so there's some sort of great connections there. Just to listen to how the other halves live. Um, and as I was leaving the UK 15 years ago, a graduate paramedic was the unicorn. There wasn't many of them, and they were just going into the education system. And there's no nationally funded degrees, um, unlike Australia. There's no nationally funded degrees there. But over the course of time, it's worked its way through the system. As I say, you know, mum and dad are going to send send junior to college to do something. Why not do a clinical, you know, RN crossover paramedic degree? Um, you're going to go to college anyway. Do it vocationally and then come in come into the service thereafter just a thought and it opens up you know those kind of conversations and those placements especially when you look at the the setup here in the states opens up so many new opportunities and in the four-year institutions that are pushing that you know many of those institutions are are, uh are one uh research institutions so could you imagine you know now taking ems and putting it in the hopper of all these research institutions as well you know, the potential to grow and expand, you know, there's a lot of options there. And uh, we'll certainly put that in our show notes as well. So everybody- And actually that leads me on to another elephant, which is data um, and using data and numbers to tell a story. We are bad as an industry of self-promotion. Um, we, we, we're kind of the modest, it's just our job, we do it because we love to do it. But actually we have to tell our story in order to achieve those four little words I was talking about earlier. Um, and we have a ton which I think is a technical description of a lot of data um, with, with which we can then collect, collate, analyze, and act on. It's actually the intelligence cycle. Um, and we need to use our numbers to tell a story, whether, and it's, whether it's to convince um, you know, a locally elected official to make a decision. Um, one of the things I talked about in the session, and, and if, if people out there just Google um, Nemsis EMS by the numbers, there is actually every week Nemsis publish a set of charts based on the 50 million records that they have in the NEMSIS database in any 365-day period that talk about the, the core volume for the national EMS system, that talk about things like, um, you know, ILI-related calls, whether it's cardiac arrest, gunshot wounds, et cetera, or, or, or tra trauma calls. And they publish this every week. They update it every week. And I've used it, used it no end of times to brief officials at all sorts of levels about the various issues that we're facing. And again, we're using the numbers to tell the the numbers to create the picture, in which case, you know, a picture of the graph, the stats paint a thousand words. 
to help us along. And so that was one of my kind of takeaways is to go and Google now, right now, the fact that we've got this information out there, you can use it um, to, to, and again, we have to convince our locally elected officials or nationally elected officials that we have an issue, we have a case to answer and they need to help us solve it. Well, and, and that brings up, I had a conversation with our state legislators a few years ago. And one of the things that, that he mentioned was, well, you all just pick up and take to the hospital. And, you know, they, they, there was no analysis. He had no indication of what we did. And that data is part of what we need to educate um, you know, those decision makers to, to, as you said, get that all those in favor. Because when, when it comes down to appropriations and we can talk about, you know, EMS as an essential service, but if it doesn't have the appropriation behind it that gives the dollars, then a lot of this stuff goes away. So if we have the data, uh, then you can go back and say, like, look, in your jurisdiction, we had X number of this or that, and that's mm -hmm. it translates to this. And, you know, hey, how was EMS funded or how was EMS started? You know, right. there's a little, little piece of paper in the United States called accidental death and disability. And one of the key things was there was a significant amount of money being paid out to the morbidity and mortality of these patients, and they wanted to stop that. So it's like if you give us $2,000, we reduce you you know, X number of payouts and in, in insurance yeah. claims or this, that, or the other. So actually you just touched on another point there that uh, both NAMT and AAA have uh, legislative guides. And part of those guides also talk about how to invite somebody and house somebody in a visit or a ride along to your service. And that's vitally important that when you go meet these elected officials in the state house or in the federal, in the national capital, invite them back because they come, theoretically, they come from where you come from because otherwise they wouldn't be your locally elected official. So invite them back to the agency for a visit where you can push the boat out, you can take them, show them what you do, and they get firsthand that knowledge of what it's like life on the street. Um, I mean, interestingly, we had a we had a thing in Sacramento a few months ago. We we we've had massive wall time issues, um, a handover delay issues in California. It's been eye-wateringly uh, bad. And so we we are a news reporter asked to come on a ride along. So we literally put them in the supervisor vehicle, drove the supervisor vehicle to the hospital, put them on the back of the truck. There you go, you're with this crew. Where's this crew going? Nowhere. They've been here for six hours and they'll probably be here for another six. There's your report. No, and, and that's, that, yeah, that uh, you know, that's that that's the way things change. And don't not uh, you know, I'm gonna use the term dog and pony. You a lot of times we get, especially the federal legislators come in and you you take them through all the this is what it looks like, but like give them a shirt and 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 toss them onto your, your maybe your QRV so you can get them out to any vehicle uh, any call and yeah. say hey ride in with the crew. That's I, I had an anesthesiology student uh, that did a ride along with us once and uh, we ended up with a cardiac arrest call and he got to help participate in that and he's like I had by the time it got done he goes. I had no clue that you all did any of this. He goes, my opinion so far has changed. And that individual did more advocacy for EMS mm -hmm. than his own uh, desire to finish anesthesiology school. I mean, obviously he finished and continued, but those kind of things change people's minds. They do. And we were on the Hill um, in, in Washington, D.C. a few a few days ago for uh, EMT on the Hill. And uh, one of the, the, the state delegates was talking to someone who's on one of the health committees and they they had the aha moment and went, I'm leaving here and going to catch Secretary Becerra and get them on the case because I hadn't realized it was this dire. So if you, you know, you have to talk to these people, invite them along and get them involved and, uh, you know, state your case. So we've talked about, you know, reimbursement, we've talked yep. about uh, recruiting retention, recertification,
One of the other elephants that you mentioned today was contracting. Right. So let's talk a little about contracting. Yeah. Now, in many places in the country, of course, the, the local certificate of need or the exclusive operating area is essentially bid out. And a lot of local authorities will describe what they want to see in their EMS system. They'll identify usually response time standards, they'll identify targets, they'll identify penalties, charges, whatever fines, whatever you want to call them. And initially, they will describe this um, almost utopian system that when you start to put pounds, shillings and pence or dollars and cents, depending on where you're listening from, onto that, it becomes an expensive proposition to deliver what they want. And so my, my point today was they describe the cruise liner when they can only afford the rowboat because the system and its payer mix can't sustain unless they're going to heavily subsidize um, the, the system can't sustain what they want. And so when you get into these kind of, you know, private ambulance companies, particularly bidding for delivery of the system, there is almost this sort of perversity where they're, where they're going to have to outbid each other by underbidding. And eventually you have, you know, a, uh, a service that, that may not be able to be delivered because of the, the cost of doing business. The other thing that I noted is that in some uh, RFPs, there is, fees that the, the, the successful bidder has to pay the locality. For example, each fire truck has to have new monitors. Each, uh, the whole office of EMS of that particular area has its salary paid for by income from the from the winning bidder. And so there, there is this almost this kind of pay to play, which is now, a, which is a perversity. And so that, that was kind of one of the things that I raised that uh, we need to stop doing that. You just need to sort of Google where systems are, are failing. You will see that there is all sorts of you know, realizations, if you like, that this actually does cost a lot of money to run an EMS system. And, you know, just by taking it back or by finding that the incumbent, the incumbent ambulance company isn't actually solving anything. And so we have a lot of unfixing or fixing or unfixing, depending which which side of the table you're sitting on to do around, you know, contracting ambulance service to deliver a service that we know is unaffordable based on what you've described. And so therein, therein lies lies that particular challenge. So contracting, reimbursement, all this, you know, and we've talked a little bit about it, but let's talk just a little bit more about politics and why people should, should speak to the politicians and have stuff ready. You, you know, it, I, I now do this pretty much for a living, you know, 50% of my time, whether it's whether it's state politics or, or, or national politics with either CAA or, or AAA. But we put these people into office, simple as that, all right? They are there representing, doing our business. And so we're, we're their constituents. And so we have that kind of, particularly when you show up in uniform, please show up in uniform. You have that kind of hometown advantage when you're trying to legislate for change. We want North Carolina, it's in a lot of stuff in the news uh, around the creation of a thriving wage or a living wage. Um, and, and it's actually, I think in North Carolina that that rising tide has lifted all, 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 all ships because you know, if if one county is paying more, the other county is the other county isn't. I'm just going to move and, and change change over, and so to actually lobby the local authority, whatever that authority is, to to increase uh, salary and living wage for the workers means that you're not going to be losing people all the time because the next door county isn't paying more than the current county. So, 
that's the reason to get involved. Um, we need, we've got a lot of change coming up. We have, you know, we talked about balanced billing. We talked about cost collections. Um, we talked about things like, you know, if, if you're dealing with, with VA and, and the payments that, that are going on there, that's a, that's an income challenge for EMS. So um, we talked about, you know, extension of line of duty death benefits, for example, that requires funding. It requires legislation. It requires attention. So there's a lot of um, the 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 add-ons, in other words, the rural. If you're in a rural and a super rural area, um, that those payments go away periodically because they're just on a sort of a five-year cycle. And I remember we we got the add-ons added back, the add-ons added back in a few years ago. We went, oh, that's it. Well, no, no, we've got to keep going because it's going to run out and run out run out again. So that there's lots of politics and politicking, and actually, it's not just preserved for government affairs consultants. Actually, the, the more medics you stick in front of your locally elected officials, the better, because they are the ones that can tell the story. California right now, we're going through uh, a political campaign to increase our medical funding. And the people that we're getting to tell those stories are A, the medics, and B, labor unions. And we are totally in lockstep with all of our labor um, colleagues because we want to be able to pay our people better, which is, of course, what our labor colleagues want. But unless we work together on getting the government or the local government to change their current rates, their current um, you know, fiscal settings, we're not going to achieve anything. And so, therefore, it, it takes all sorts to get this done. Um, interestingly, we, we I talked about a number of national associations. Prior to COVID, for example, we had you know fire-based organizations, ambulance-based organizations that generally didn't have the same agendas. But of course, we realized that some of these big ticket items, particularly around you know governmental Medicare, Medicaid funding, et cetera, everybody is now working together and in lockstep. We had a meeting of the minds where we said, okay, let's agree on what we don't agree on and park it. Now we've got things left that we do agree on. Let's all hunt as a pack and get this done. And so the, the last EMS on the Hill, uh, NAMT's EMS on the Hill, the opening speaker was from IFF. The next speaker was from AAA, and then NAMT came in because that just demonstrated the unity. And of course, when you go into those on the, and when you go and see these elected officials, they're like, well, we had this EMS organization and that EMS organization and that far organization. You've been here for weeks. Why don't you just all come together? Well, guess what? We're here together this time. And of course, well, that has, has some traction. And, you know, going on to that, some of these individuals that have never been on the side of being an advocate for the profession is like, well, why me as a as a ground level paramedic or an EMT? And the answer to that is if they see one of you, it's okay to it's good for them to just, okay, it's one of them. If it's 10 of you, it's like, well, okay. But if it's a hundred of you that are coming to see them, then all of a sudden they're like, ah, wait a minute, I can't just push this away. It's you know, so it becomes this larger aspect. Now You've mentioned a couple of them, and, and I, you know, trying to get that entry into advocacy. I think it's really important for people to know that it's not necessarily going to your state capital or the federal capital. That is a big thing as well. But utilizing things like the NAEMT's online leg legislative service, you just have to go on there, put in your information, yep. and it automatically sends it to them. Or you can do the stuff like AAA, participate through AAA, or your state uh, EMS service. And it may come down to just making a phone call. You're you're good to hang out at home, and you call and talk to the uh, the the federal legislator staff, or your state legislators, or even just your local representatives. Like that can make a difference. Just make a phone call. It's like, hey, you have this bill, the Medicare extenders. Uh, you know, uh, just a couple of years ago, 
uh, as I was going through, you know, hey, all of the, what does this mean to you? Well, I'm in super rural area. That's a rather large add-on and that just keeps gas in our tank. Yeah. Um, and I think is a, a big thing. So anybody can participate again, just from going to some like NAEMT or making a phone call or an email. Yeah, and, and from, from a campaign perspective, of course, in California, we have the same program where you put your name, your address, and then that targets your locally elected official and sends the, you know, the, the campaign letter of the day or of the week. But also we've become ruthless at using social media um, and everything from who'd have thought I'd have a TikTok channel, but I do, right? And so every but we have every type of channel you can imagine. And actually we channel our adverts, which we again we 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 create sort of content. And that then gets channeled into the zip code of the particular chair of the particular committee we're seeking to influence. And so if he puts his Facebook page on, all he's getting is CAA medics on the screen talking about the their, their you know, one one great guy, um, you know, talked, gave, gave us this, this great soundbite that he's one shift, he's one missed shift away from the poverty line, which is which is criminal. It's it's awful but in in some cases that's the way it is and so we had a lot of a lot of these sort of you know discussions with folk and i did some did some some podcasting i actually i called it an ems town hall where instead of having you know the the muckety mucks like me and others on the on the podcast i had a room full of emts and we had a we had a heart to heart and it really all came out about the fact is that yes they love doing what they do they do it this is a calling this is not a job it's a way of life but actually I can't afford to do it, and and I know that Wendy's has has more. I can make more as the Walmart greeter. Sorry, Walmart, but that you can, or Wendy's, or Target, or whatever, and I get off on time, and I don't have to deal with the, you know, the some of the trauma. The, the, well, if we do two things: trauma and drama. I have to deal with both those things, right? So I'm off, and so you know, we we have a very very we've got a very very powerful campaign going, and and you know, fingers crossed that it will continue to to progress because of course politics is a, is, is like. In England, we call it snakes and ladders. What's the what's the American name for that? It's not you don't have a when you, you the board game. What's it shoots, called? Shoots and ladders. Shoots, shoots. Ladders. Well, in England, it's snakes and ladders, right? So it's one of those ones where we go, we campaigns going and going and going and going, and then whoops, we're down down the shoot again, right? And so that's that's probably a great assessment of politics. But you've got to keep in the game. You've got to keep rolling the dice, and you've got to try and get to the end of the game by getting up the ladders and not, as you'd say, down the shoots. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. So talking with, you know, with politics, just, just look at it this way. You know, if you're an EMS administration or if you're, you know, a field provider, get involved. If not yep. you, then who? Uh, because, you know, they want to hear from the, from the people in the streets as much as they do from the administrators. Well, and, and I'm going to, we, we've already mentioned it once here, uh, talking about the, the firefighters associations and their impact. And uh, we can go to our, our brethren on the law enforcement side, and everybody talks about what uh, they do uh, or that they always get what they want. It's kind of the terminology that some people use to just kind of, and that's because they have done this for a long time and they have done it well. And they have, when, when a, a FOP local is opposed to something, they pick up a call or a phone. I need 50 of you all at this address in half an hour, and guess what they do? They all are out there, they're all doing this. Uh, I, I go back to my one of my favorite television shows, The West Wing, and I, I'm gonna use California as an example, and they're like, why, why are we going out to talk to this local president? And he's like, 
Nobody gets elected in California without this guy. At a moment's notice, he can make a phone call and have 10,000 people at your rally, either for you or against you. And, uh, you know, and that's kind of what this is, is the mm -hmm. it's a grassroots campaign. The more of us that we have involved, the bigger voice you have, you know, um, you go to a football stadium, high school football stadium with 500 people there che cheering from their team. You hear them. You go to the University of Tennessee, best football stadium in the world on a game day Saturday, and you've got actually Richter scales going off because of the noise when they beat Alabama, you know, and because you have 102,000 people sitting, sitting there. So the more voices you have, the better. Well, let me take you from from, from the, the 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 fantasy that is the West Wing to the reality that is actually California. And uh, you know, a shout out to our colleagues in NAGE, SEIU, Temza, AFSME, actually United Steel Workers, and even the Teamsters who are also run BMS unions around California. We couldn't do it without them, without their support. And the fact that our legislation is labor friendly, and we are in absolute lockstep with those people, and we couldn't get. And again, I come back to all those in favour, right? You've got to count the votes before the vote is taken. And actually, our colleagues in our colleagues in Labour right now are helping us get those votes counted. So, as we as we move forward and we look at this, you made a very good point this morning, um, and you you compared us to something that most people are familiar with. We we no longer need to act like <laughs> who. Well, my my final point really was talking about all these issues and obviously some offering some solutions. But, uh, you know, sometimes the EMS is the great health and social social care safety net. Right. We're the good guys. We're, we're like the U.N. We're all about keeping the peace. But actually to get stuff done, we have to stop thinking that we're the U.N. And we have to start thinking like NATO because NATO is an attack on one is an attack on all. So we have to start changing our mindset a little bit right now. We can go back to being the U.N. eventually. But right now, we have to actually repel all borders. And those borders are folk that are trying to either defund us, folk that are trying to deny us funds. And, and so that's the mindset now. We need to get together. We need to create that, you know, North Atlantic, North EMS Treaty Organization and go forward and, you know, keep be successful. Um, so that was my UN-NATO uh, analogy. And uh, clearly it had some effect on you. I thought it was a perfect way to to describe what we need to do. There we go. And that, that was how we ended. So, Well, so with this, um, Rob has given us a tremendous amount of his presentation, but I think it would still be a good idea if you want to hear all this, make sure and reach out to him and he'll come to your conference and present it as well, even though Absolutely. he gave out a lot of his secrets here uh, today as well. So Rob, as we wrap up, we always like to give, uh, give you an opportunity for two to three minute wrap up and just anything that uh, is outstanding in your mind that we should know. Um, your time is yours. Well, I, I was invited here to 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 be the keynote, and, and by the way, I had to follow the the legend that is Ken Bouvier, who normally entertains, edutains, and amuses. And so then I come in with the sort of the the the, the tough subject of here are the issues we need to deal with, but. You know, we, we have some challenges in EMS. Our, you know, we must remember that our people are our most important thing. And actually, I'm going to touch on one of the things we didn't talk about, and that's talk about the Peter principle, right? We, we always in EMS get the best medic, the best paramedic who's performing on the truck and, and promote them to a level of incompetence initially, as in you're the, great, you're the great medic and now you're the supervisor. And I haven't trained you to do that, but I expect you to do it. 
And so we have to think about how we look after our people by training, training them internally to, to for the next job, for the next position. Sometimes organizations are reluctant to do that because they, we may train them and they may leave. Well, actually try training them and they will may well stay. And so look after your people, train your people, educate your people. And then I put up another chart, actually, which, which I may share with you of, of looking at how we talk about EMS 2050, right? So these are, this is, you know, the, the, the great paper that uh, CMS put out talking about where we're going to be in, you know, in, at 2050. My contention is we probably would have paved paradise and put up a parking lot by then, by the way. Um, but the point being is the age of the people in the room, half of them aren't going to get to 2050. So I'm looking at you, the 20 to 30 year olds, because you are the future of EMS. You're the ones that are going to carry us forward into, you know, the next 20, 30 years. And what we mustn't do is lose you. We have to train you, educate you, nurture you and prepare you to be the leaders of the future. And if we don't do that, then we just end up going back through that revolving door again. And so it's quite simply, it's one of those look after your people, you know, look after each, look after yourself and each other moments. Um, and, and I guess that's really what I came to North Carolina to say. Well, I I think uh, you, you pretty much said it, but, uh, you know, anytime I hear that, I go back to Richard Branson's quote or conversation uh, between him and his CFO and his CFO right. goes, what happens if we train these people and they leave? And he goes, what happens if we don't and they stay? Um, and I think that's, you know, you invest in your people. And, and I think the best, you take care of your people, they take care of everything else. Um, so that's, I, I absolutely love that point. Any last points from you, Bradley? No, I, I just want to say thank you very much for, for thank joining you. us. Thank you for coming to North Carolina. And you will actually be on the podcast and Ken will be following, Ken Bovier will be following you. Well, that's a first. Over the years of doing this on the national stage, I've always followed Ken. And I've always gone, oh, my God, I'm following Ken. So there you go, Ken. Follow this. <laughs> All right. So as we conclude today, we like to say uh, we always look forward to hearing your feedback. So don't forget to subscribe, rate, and review on your favorite podcast platform. Also go and visit uh, the EMS One podcast and the voice of Rob there and NAEMT. Uh, podcast as well. So he's in many different areas. We'd like to thank our guest for being here today. But until next week, remember the value of your EMS handoff. <laughs>